the um, reemergence of the feminine has uh, brought now a counter-reaction with the reemergence of the feminine within the masculine. And so there is now the movement across the country that most of you, I think, have some beginning of awareness about, but the more awareness that one has of anything, the more possibility one has as to make appropriate choices about one's place uh, within a movement. And as you know, with the Robert Bly's movement of gathering of men, that even here in Houston now, I am in conversation with others who are beginning to think about starting a men's center here in Houston. Uh, there is a plot of ground even now uh, being purchased for the men's center. It's down on the Buffalo Bio. What a appropriate place for men to again, once again, to begin to beat drums. <laughs> for those of you who don't know about the gathering of men, one of the things that uh, poet Bly has men do as a part of their own ritualing is to beat drums, uh, to recover some of their own warrior nature and to, at the same time, uh, begin to claim their own masculinity, which we have had great difficulty in arresting from our fathers because this culture has not had appropriate rituals whereby we can claim our own masculinity from our fathers. Now let me just address some of the issues, for better or for worse, that seem to me to be implicit and incumbent uh, within this movement and have, I think, perhaps an adult conversation about the place, the spiritual and psychological place of the masculine in our society currently. No definitive word, just some personal reflections. One of the things that we know about masculine psychology is that it develops very differently from feminine psychology. One of the things that is even uh, more difficult for us to understand is the difference between masculinity and femininity in men and women. And those uh, words get confused, and sometimes when I'm talking about the masculine, we assume I'm only talking about men, but I'm talking about that principle in life, which is a psychological principle that's been loosed, which is the opposite of femininity. And in the th compensatory theory of opposites within this uh, universal rule, where there is one, there is another. Where something grows, its opposite will grow in its own uh, field of uh, battle. And so we are heirs and victims of these opposites of masculinity and femininity within our world. And the development of the masculine and the development of the feminine does seem to occur in little boys and little girls primarily. So I'm fond of saying the first half of your life, it is your responsibility to become your gender, be it male or female. First half of life, I'm to become a man. The second half of life, I'm to become a person. And in order to do that, I have to begin to integrate my psychosexual uh, dimension, which is the contrasexual dimension of my femininity. Now, the developmental track in simple, if not simplistic terms, is that for little girls, as they begin to separate from mother and individuate, they don't have to do so in opposition to the feminine qualities of mother. 
for little boys to individuate and separate from mother, they have to become not mother. Little girls can separate from mother while at the same time continue to maintain uh, those qualities of femininity that they have found in mother. If little boys maintain those qualities of femininity, they do not individuate and separate from mother in the same way. As a man said to me one time about his religion, that his religion was being not Catholic. <laughs> the psychosexual development of little boys is to be not mother. And so naturally, in those early stages of development, how is it that we're to learn, little boys that is, to individuate or separate from mother, we need some male to show us how to live in a world without her and in a world that is larger than she. And so we need a mentor or a male model to be present to help us separate from mother in order to individuate. It's one of the most difficult separations that goes on, I think, in the whole of living organism, and that is the separation of a little boy from his mother. Now, one of the difficulties has been for this culture has been the absence of men in the home. <clears throat> Not only the absence of men in the home, but the absence of male models in other environment which would give us the mentoring of masculinity in order to make the separation. For instance, uh, I was in the ninth grade before I had a male teacher. I never had a male Sunday school teacher. Now, I did have uh, male coaches, which were very helpful athletic coaches, to a point in helping me separate from mother. But they were not very helpful in terms of my appreciating and being in touch with my own femininity. Uh, to the contrary. The sort of um, fantasies and uh, destructive untruths about women was perpetuated primarily in that uh, athletic arena by the coaches. The girls were out to get you, something that you should be very suspicious of and stay away from. Um, that was in the top three or four uh, admonitions that I ignored from them. <laughs> what I'm building here is that the absence of masculine influence in the home has been part of what Robert Bly is preaching now in his gathering of men is that we have not been given an appropriate mentoring as to what appropriate masculinity looks like. And as we emerge and grow, we do not have to become masculine at the expense of the feminine. And we haven't had a good mentoring on that. Now let me go back and make a point, and that is that the religious community, particularly the Judeo-Christian religious community, has been conservative on premarital sex for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that the baby has to stay with the mother in the sense of the baby's need for nurture and 
the very uh, literal gestation period in that period of nurture where the baby is absolutely dependent on the mother. But the father needs to be tied into the system also in order that he will be present in order to help wean the child from the mother, to introduce the child to a larger world than mother, and to teach particularly male children uh, what appropriate bonding of males might look like in order to separate, individuate. And so the conservatism about premarital intercourse really has nothing to do with the church's view about sexuality, even though the church has been a little confused on that issue also, but primarily it has to do with the idea of commitment and guaranteeing that the father will be present if there is a pregnancy emanating from the sexual relationship. And so the conservatism really had to do with being sure that there was a covenantal relationship before intercourse in order that the father would be present if a child emanated. It's very important for the development of a female child as well, but I'm talking about masculine psychology today. Now, when I say that there have been absentee fathers in this culture, I mean that there have been primarily three issues, as, or let's say four, because the fourth is a summary of the prior three, four reasons that men have been absent from the home in the last, uh, say, 30 to 50 years. The first one has been those war years for many of us when fathers uh, were not home because of being away uh, during the World War II. The second was the Protestant work ethic, <clears throat> where fathers <coughs> felt that their primary obligation was to make money and provide uh, bread for the family. And so uh, men were not home. And if they were home late, they were unavailable once they be got home because they were too tired. And then the third reason is that many of them were drunk. In this culture, to come home tired and to have uh, two to three to four drinks anesthetized father from any ability to connect significantly with problem solving in the home. Whether it be a mathematical problems with a child or problems of relationship or domestic issues, uh, once one is exhausted and has three drinks, he is absolutely unavailable. And so the unavailability of men in our culture has cut down and limited the ability of males to bond with their fathers. And because we no longer live in that either rural or mentor system to where young boys worked with their fathers in their profession, either in the farm or in the particular specialty or craftsmanship, to where little boys haven't stood by their father's side and learned a trade, and in the learning of the trade, find a bonding and a teaching about what it means to be a man uh, in our culture. Uh, coupled with that, of course, <coughs> has been a patriarchically dominated society where men have primarily been in charge of decision-making, uh, which has created uh, up until the reemergence of the feminine, basically uh, passive-aggressive, manipulative uh, feminine uh, culture. 
that is to say that it has been uh, men's job to be powerful and women's job to make the decisions and convince the men that it was their idea. Um, now, what makes this difficult is that there are some things, shall we say natural, if not instinctual, about people of gender who are males. There is an instinctual, natural, shall we say even animal side of the male which is the way by which he individuates and bonds. Now, if we could talk about the male animal for a minute, even in the pride, as in a lion, the king of the pride, or in a, a bull who is the head of a herd, that the instinctual need in the animal male is to inseminate as many women, females, excuse me, as quickly as possible. In order to keep the herd alive, the male has within his animal instinct the need to inseminate as many women as quickly as possible. The female <clears throat> has as her instinctual need to attract the most powerful male. That is once again in order to keep the tribe or the herd uh, powerful. And so we're often running with an instinctual animal side that makes it very different, uh, difficult uh, to satiate that instinctual need and at the same time develop a higher order of relatedness called the human being. Now you remember I'm fond of quoting Catherine Hepburn in The African Queen when Humphrey Bogart says to her, why ma'am it's only natural and she says, my good man, nature is what we're put on earth to rise above. That just because there is a natural instinct in men to inseminate as quick, many women as quickly as possible, seeing that both as fact and metaphor, that just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's human. Because humans are more than nature. They're more than animal instinct. We are human beings. This, of course, is one of the hallmarks of the human predicament. And that is, how can I satiate my instincts and appetite and also live a responsible human life of authentic relatedness? The answer to that is, welcome to the world. Now, for males, then, in their development, I have great difficulty, and I'm going to make a statement quoting one of my colleagues that is startling for a moment until you begin to think about it. A psychiatrist friend of mine says that the problem with men and their bonding is that men don't know how to love men without having sex. Now, what he means by that is if you look at the instinctual animal side of men, that to be in relationship means to inseminate as quickly as possible. From the beginning, we have sort of woven into our DNA, as it were, this sense that when we are related, that sex must be involved. 
I commend to you Harry Met Sally to see an interesting contemporary discussion of whether men can have a relationship with somebody without having sex. The difficulty for men is that we grew up trying to separate from the inclusive, open, receptive, warm love that we experience first from the feminine to differentiate from that and that males have bonded traditionally with males on the basis of competition and uniting to defeat a common enemy. <clears throat> so when men bond, they bond out of competition and then once they have competed and tested metal and are capable of being on the team or in the firm, then they unite on the basis of defeating a common enemy. They do not unite or bond on the basis of intimacy. And my quick definition of intimacy is the ability to share feelings, fears, failures, and fantasies. Men don't know how to bond on the basis of intimacy. They bond on the basis of being not mother and on the basis of competing, testing metal in order to unite to defeat a common enemy. My son came back <clears throat> from the University of Texas having pledged a well-known national fraternity and sat in my living room in one of those dad and lad talks saying, Dad, I, let me get this straight. I don't understand it. I joined a fraternity and the first thing I know is they made me take my clothes off and do exercises in the basement when turning up the thermostat. My girlfriend pledged a sorority and they gave her flowers and a hug. What's going on here? <laughs> the bonding of females is much more on the basis of relatedness and intimacy. Now, I know in your own mind you're saying, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm a female and we don't do that either, or you're a male saying, wait a minute, I have shared feelings and fantasies. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> We're talking about them. I know how highly developed you are psychologically and spiritually, but it's important that you're here to support them. <laughs> Men test metal, bond, and unite in order to defeat a common enemy. I mean, look at the history of the male-dominated uh, professions up until uh, the current time, uh, whether it be the the... Uh, legal profession where basically there was a, an initiation, an internship that was served against which you were made to do uh, 75 hours a week calisthenics in the basement in order to get initiated into the tribe in order that you could then defeat a or what about the male tradition 
within the medical field of basically uh, serving this humiliating internship and residency where they test your mettle to see if you're adequate uh, to join the partnership or the house staff in order to defeat the common enemy. And while you're at it, humiliate nurses. Now, what about the priesthood? Well, the whole idea of the diaconate, which is a servanthood ministry, is to serve in this period where you serve the tables and go visit the orphans and widows uh, while the priests put on their dresses and dance about the altar. <laughs> it's sort of a remnant. Now, all of these institutions are under a revolutionary change. We men of this generation have been bequeathed the revolution. That in all of these three professions, each of these three professions, and in all of them, uh, in my seminary, the Virginia Seminary, 50% uh, of the enrollees are women. So I understand about law schools and medical schools. So there is an incredible revolution going on. And what are we men to do about it? Well, the dark side, of course, of the female, the feminist uh, emergence has been that the, what starts out to be the claiming of something holy and spiritual, uh, God-given, <clears throat> can become its opposite. And that is, when women began to claim their own femininity, there was always the danger of falling over the edge and simply becoming inferior males. And so we had this period of anger and stridency where we had women who were, shall we say, animus-possessed, and that is possessed by their contrasexual dimension, and simply became inferior males. The danger, of course, for the, the movement of masculine psychology and the revolutionary of the reclaiming of the feminine within the masculine, which is what the masculine revolution is all about is that we men just become inferior females and be anima possessed. A woman who is possessed by her masculine side rather than in relationship appropriately becomes uh, the worst kind of inferior male who becomes opinionated um, who becomes overbearing, strident, angry, uh, best described probably, um, I guess we're all adults here, aren't we? As bitchy. And interesting, <clears throat> that same term would apply to the inferior male. The male who is acting as an inferior female because a man who's not used to living in the realm of feeling and fear and fantasy and, 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 and failure and expressing that intimately becomes mood, moody, sentimental, and maudlin. And so to be inferior male or an inferior female is not the goal of either of these revolutions, and there's nothing worse than a bitchy woman or a bitchy man. And so what we need to reclaim is a sense that it is possible for men to be related to other men without competing or without defeating. It is possible. 
Because the difficulty between fathers and sons in this culture has been that the father felt that it was his job to test the mettle of the son, humiliate him, browbeat him, in order that he would be able to con compete. And where, since he is trying to separate from mother and be not mother, does he learn anything about intimacy? Which is something that human beings, unlike animals, desperately need in order to be whole. A human being cannot be well unless he has intimacy in his life. Affection, physical affection, which may be a result of intimacy, is an absolute necessity for well-being. I used to have a sign on our refrigerator that said, human beings need at least five hugs a day. Men have had great difficulty in expressing affection to one another because they were afraid that it would lead to sex. Men don't know how to be affectionate because they've not learned how to love one another without having sex. Women are awfully good at that. Women are able to hug, to kiss, to compliment one another's body and clothes. They get magazines where they look at women in their dresses and their clothes and, and feel free to enjoy that. If I get a magazine and begin to look at men in clothing and talk to one of my friends about how attractive these men are, <clears throat> or if I see a friend at a cocktail party and rush up and hug him and tell him how absolutely divine he looks, um, I probably would be accused of being an inferior male. And maybe so. I'm not preaching that men become like women. I'm trying to show some of the difficulties incumbent in our evolution in this culture as men to find places to be intimate. Women can be like mother. They can be nurturing, acceptive, accepting, intimate, affirming, affectionate. Men have had to be not that and have had to fight and compete and unite and defeat. And so where is the opportunity for men to love one another and be intimate together? Well, part of what we're reclaiming is the feminine within the masculine, saying that it's okay. When women hug and are intimate, they don't worry about whether they're going to have sex with one another. Number one, they're not programmed that way. But men, because we think where there is love, there is sex, and we are to inseminate as many females as quickly as possible. So if we're hugging, we know what that leads to. It's like, you know, why the Baptists are against adultery because they're afraid it'll lead to smoking. <laughs> <clears throat> And so for us to embrace and to hug and be free with our affection has been very difficult for males in this culture. And God's Navy praise, I think we're going to reclaim some of that. But my threat and warning and fear 
is that in the reclaiming of the feminine within the masculine, that we will become inferior females and it will have its dark side and we will become uh, simply ineffectual. It is possible to have both in the same place and that's what a full, whole human being is. Fully male, fully female. And the movement from being male to becoming whole means incorporating the feminine. For a whole nother lecture, we will see how men have forced women to be their feminine side through the years. And now that women are refusing to do that, it happens usually in each relationship, sometime during the relationship, but it's happening in this culture in general, men are lost. How can the needs for intimacy be met if I don't have a woman who will be in charge of seeing that they get met. That means I must be in charge. And I am with my own feelings, fears, failures, and fantasies and the need to express and share those. I am like a bull in a china shop. And I don't exactly have a prescription uh, for how this happens other than awareness and choice. I also don't fear that this new awareness is going to evolve us out of our need to be men and to be women and to vive la différence. But I'm also interested in seeing if we can't evolve into the place that we can become persons as well as just men and women. And it is possible for men to be intimate with one another without worrying about insemination. And it might be nice to sit back and relax and have a relationship with a man with whom you don't have to compete that you can share and one with that you can embrace rather than defeat. Now, what does this have to do with spirituality? Why is a priest of apostolic order talking about masculine and feminine psychology? Well, it's because in the beginning he made them male and female. And if we are not doing the best we can to become whole human beings, that we were separated or divided in the beginning into male and female for some holy spiritual purpose. And that in working out this mysterious relationship between the sexes is the journey to spiritual wholeness. A large part of the meaning in anybody's life is his and her ability to be related. Jesus only talked about two things really, love and obedience. And if we are to obey God's call, we've got to learn how to love one another. We must learn how to love one another. Jesus said, the only way that they will know you are my followers, he didn't say by your following rules, 
The only way they will know you are my followers, he didn't say by being perfect. The only way they will know you are my followers, he didn't say church attendance. The only way they will know you are my followers, he didn't say by your brilliance or affluence. He said they will know you are Christians by your love. We are to love one another as we're first loved. And if we can't figure out that mystery or if we're not obeying God's call to be as aware as possible about the dynamic of human relatedness, then we are not being responsible to our call to be humans. We have never been satisfied. We either want to be God or animals. And we live somewhere in between on this teeter-totter. We're called to be humans, and it means we must respect and understand our animal nature. But we must know we're called into relationship with God. And we can only do that if we learn to be whole human beings. That's what this conversation's about. Come again next week, and we'll have conversation number two on masculine and feminine. Thank you.